Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. That's a great analysis. I love that. And Jeff was 55, 43, and 1. So if you bet with Jeff, you made money. Jeff, thank you very much. Um, um, it's been Tony, a good year. Are we going to talk about how this is the eight-year anniversary of you asking me to park my car and <laughs> Super Bowl is back in the, the same place? You, you know, that. I keep track in all the weeks that you're on how often you do this. And it's about 25 to 30% of the time. So if you could get a plus bet on that, you should take yes. it. The Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. And speaking of betting, we now have the most successful person and or Simeon who has bet <laughs> all year. We have James Carville. Now, you're going to say that last week he lost a basketball game on a double play to make his record 72-43-4. Yeah, but it's basketball. His football record, where he was 1-0 last week, his football record is 72-41-4. He's plus 31. And if you had just bet, and we're not going to talk about exotic wagering here, if you had just bet on all of his football bets, just $5, just $5, and increased when you wanted to, you'd be sitting in money. You'd be bathing in money. You had the greatest year of all time. You're plus 31 in football. you got to feel good about this. I feel terrific. And by the way, Tuesday night, Washington Palm, my team is going to have that at probably 6.30. We can order ahead for you so you can get out at 7 if you want to, to go to bed. Oh, that's, I do go to bed early. What day is this? It's Tuesday this week. Okay. All right. The, the, the whole team, I'm buying a celebratory dinner, and we're coming with some sides for Sunday's game. We're not going to back away. We're going to belly up to the bar, make ourselves hurt. This is, this is next, this coming Tuesday, today being Friday. The, the, that Tuesday, this coming Tuesday. Okay. So today is Friday, tomorrow is Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Yeah, I, I just I, I thought it was possible there was a Carvillian calendar that was different <laughs> you know, from the one I've been used to. At, at our age, Tony, you, you think we're all a date? <laughs> <laughs> we're day-to-day, James. We're day-to-day. We, 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 we come by and the, the, the secret algorithm will be released. Plus 31 on the year. I just It's an amazing record. Philadelphia is a one-and-a-half-point favorite, and you were wise to stay away from Cincinnati, and I, I understood why you did that. Philadelphia is a one-and-a-half-point favorite. At one-and-a-half, you're really betting on who you think is going to win, right? That's what a better does at that point? Hey, hey, you know, it's a lot of games for 28-27. Okay. It's not a remotely possible thing, but I, I like we, – we're going with the Chiefs. Yeah, you are. Why? Given Mahomes a, yeah. a point, right? Okay, I'll take it. And uh, a, a, a big bet, a blue plate, is uh, what's it, I think it's sixty-one and a half yards for this uh, guy from Penn State, Sanders. Okay, Sanders. Go over. That's over another bet. Okay, Sanders. Yards. Right. Go ahead. Right, and. Take the under over is 51. Right. Uh, it was 50. Uh, I, much, I like it better than 50, but still 51. Take the, the Chiefs, Miles Sanders, over 61 and a half. And the over 51. So, uh, yeah, Jeff Ma took the over as well, like the over. Um, we had Troy Aikman on the other day, yesterday, actually, oh, on guy. PTI. And the one thing Troy said was, you know, he saw Philadelphia early in the year. He thought they were really, really good. Everyone talks about their offensive line and their defensive line and whether they can pressure Mahomes. 
But it does seem to me, James, you and I are aligned on this. Mahomes is a wizard. Mahomes is really, he's the best football player on the planet. I don't know how you can bet against him, right? Don't you feel the same way? Well, I, I do. And a big thing, I, I listen to analysis, most of it goes in one ear. But what, what, I don't know, said something smart. Mahomes' best quarterback ever, if you try to blitz it. Yeah. If Philadelphia front five get, doesn't get to him, they're in trouble. Because if you start blitzing on Mahomes, you, 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 you're, that generally does not end well for you. Now, by the same token, if Philadelphia has a fourth and one, that's that's as good as a first and ten. They're yes. not going to stop Jalen Hurts and that yes. center they got. Uh, yeah. They're going to make every fourth and one. It's it's actually one of the better ga- It lines up as one of the better games in recent memory. It really does. You know. It does. And, uh, yeah, well, you know. Sometimes you get disappointed, but I, I yeah, I, I'm a grandfather now, so I'm going to have to go watch it. My grandson drive up to Baton Rouge watching my grandson. Okay, you know. All right. Well, that's good. Baton Rouge. In, a, in the model words of George Santos, he's a Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> All right, James. I'll see you next week. Thank you. Come to the farm. I will. Six thirty. All right, I'll be there. Tuesday night. I'll be there. All right, James Carville, boys and girls, telling you to bet. Again, the over on Sanders getting 61 and a half yards, the over on 51, and Kansas City taking one and a half points. This opening is going to go through the rest of the days of the week. <laughs> yeah, well, you know. Thought he might stumble on Wednesday. Well, that's a good point. There might be Monday, a cover. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, <laughs> Saturday, Thursday. Thank you, Apollina. Uh, yeah. So, to open this show, I just want to open a little bit with John Wall. John Wall's done. Yes. John Wall was traded from the Clippers. The Clippers traded for him. And in two-thirds of a season, gave up on him. Basically said, this guy's useless to us. We're trading him back to Houston from whence he came. He's still operating on that $45 million a year contract. (laughs) Yes. Houston hated him so much that they paid him to stay away. They didn't even want him on the bench. They didn't want anything to do with him. Traded him to the Clippers. The Clippers traded him back. There must have been a codicil in the deal that said you can give him back at some point. (laughs) Um, John Wall's career is over. It's over. I don't care where he goes. His career is over. And we were talking about this yesterday. His career ended in Game 7 when he was with the Washington Wizards. How was that fourth quarter? When he jumped up on the table in Game 6 and became king of Game 6, and in the fourth quarter of Game 7 against the Boston Celtics, scored no points. Number one overall draft choice, best player on the team, scored no points in the fourth quarter of a Game 7 playoff game. You didn't know it at the time. I didn't know it at the time. You look back, that was it. That's the end of his career, and it's been spiraling down ever since. That's really a shame. He was the old... The Wizards have had two overall number one draft choices in the past 30 years. Kwame Brown, bust. Yes. And John Wall, not bust, career bust, not bust with the Wizards, but never delivered in the way you thought he would deliver. He did teach us how to Dougie. To Dougie. The first thing he did was call attention to himself. And then he was a chronic complainer about not getting enough publicity or adulation or sneakers. sneaker deal. Yeah, that's right. That's how he viewed life. What's my sneaker deal? Yeah. And that's the most, I believe that's the most disastrous contract in the history of sports. It was like 
$200 million. What did the Wizards get out of it? Nothing. Yeah. Nothing. Great game six, though. Yeah. King of game six. Yeah. And now he's, I just think he's done. Whereas I don't think that Russell Westbrook is done. Because Russell Westbrook will be allowed to go out there and play. And he'll play hard every single second he's in the game. So I thought I would mention that. Bothered me. Somebody, I had a, uh, I had an email. I went through emails a week or so back. Threw a bunch out because they were years old. And somebody, I don't know who, and maybe it was Jeff Piggott, but I'm not sure, asked me about the Puna. Oh, asked yeah. Me, how did we spell the Puna? What was the Puna? Yeah, that's a good question. So I should say this so that people understand that when I got this dog when I was like seven or eight years old, I didn't, out of the blue, name him The Puna. I didn't do that. He had a real name. His name was Frisky. Frisky. But everybody's got a dog named Frisky. go from Frisky. Frisky to The Puma? Everybody's got a dog named Frisky. Well, I was <laughs> reading... without The. I was reading books. Cleaner. <laughs> I was reading books at that time because I was a precocious young reader. And I was reading books about India... And in India, there was a town, apparently, called Pune. Now, I don't know how it was spelled. I don't remember, as Van Morrison would say. Cast my memory back that far. I I just don't remember what that was. But I know that I spelled it P-O-O-N-A-H. P-O-O-N-A-H. And then, because you just couldn't call a dog Pune, because everybody would ask you what's going on. You want to give the dog a little authority, a little uniqueness. I called the dog the Puna. Sure. And would refer to the dog when I talked to my parents. Has anybody walked the Puna yet? Has anybody fed the Puna? Where is the Puna? And it just became second nature to me to call the dog and refer to the dog, as I do to this day, 60 years later, as the Puna. The Puna was a beagle. Was there any pushback from your parents being like, what is this nonsense about the Puna? They said, no, you just My parents were a little afraid of me. (laughs) My parents thought, this is a weird child. Let's just indulge the things that don't cause us any particular pain. So I was able to refer to the dog as the Puna. And to the, that's, you know, that is the answer. That. Now, was there a period of transition where Frisky did not uh, <coughs> accept the name? Yeah. The Puna? That's a great point. I don't remember that. I don't remember. I know that, that the Puna had, the Puna slept in my room. The Puna had his own bed, his own bed in my room. Not a dog bed, a full bed in my room. Did you have a bed? I had a bed. My bed a little bit bigger than the Puna's bed. A little bit. I was a little bit Equal bigger footing. than the Come Puna. On. I, you know, I had the Puna till I, till I was in college. I mean, I had the Puna a long time. Dog was like 15 years old, 14, 15 years old. Who took care of the Puna when you worked at summer camp? Um, my parents took care of the Puna and probably called him Frisky. That w- I, I will not sit here and tell you that I remember them making the transition <laughs> to the Puna gracefully. I, I, I can't say that. And you probably said this. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm forgetting it right now. What, what sort of dog was he? Beagle. It's a beagle. Beagle, uh, a purebred beagle conceived um, on the grounds of Camp Kiyuma, the caretaker, Mike Natichek, N-A-T-I-S-H-E-K, Mike Natichek. He was the permanent caretaker, lived there all year round in a cabin. He bred beagles, and this was one of the beagles. So um, one other thing to talk about, Burt Backrack has passed away at 94 I have to be honest, I didn't know he was still with us. Burt Backrack, there's a lovely obituary in the Washington Post today by Tim with the fabulous name for somebody writing an obit, Grieving, 
Oh. Um, <laughs> and he writes, Burt Backrack, a colossally successful pop composer with more than 70 top 40 hits, who provided the cocktail party playlist for the swing in 60s and early 70s with songs including I Say a Little Prayer, Alfie, Do You Know the Way to San Jose, Close to You, Promises, Promises, and the Oscar-winning Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head, died February 8th at his home in Los Angeles. He was 94. Often teeming with lyricist Hal David, Mr. Backrack wrote a succession of hits performed by musical torchbearers of the shag carpet era. Aretha Franklin, Tom Jones, Dusty Springfield, Herb Albert, Sergio Mendez, The Carpenters, The Fifth Dimension, and especially singer Dionne Warwick. Mr. Backrack's music ebbed and flowed from vogue, but his canon of songs brought him his industry's highest honors. Much of his enduring work featured majestic harmonies with abrupt key changes and ornate time signatures drawn from his grounding in classical music and his fervor for bebop jazz. Frank Sinatra once quipped that Mr. Backrack, quote, writes in hat sizes, seven and three-fourths. It's a great line. <laughs> this is a fabulously written obituary. That is great. Yeah. I have said to you many, many times as a newspaper writer that you can tell who the great writers are from the obituaries because you have to... St- it, it, the form is very, very, very strident. The name, a couple of clauses as to what that person did, how old was he when he died? That the first paragraph's always the same. That's a great first paragraph, and I read you three of the first four paragraphs. Um, and and it says, "Yet the songs remained accessible." There is a quote from Bert Backrack: "Maybe not too sophisticated, but sophisticated enough to have some durability, and not too sophisticated to have you just hear it by some piano player in a bar." Clearly, he did not like some piano player in a bar. The list of songs is just amazing. The songs that that I, you know, read already. Um, One Last Bell to Answer was just great, uh, in which the singer appears blasé about one leg, one less egg to fry and one last man to pick up after, but ultimately reveals her pain. All I do is cry. It's Fifth Dimension song. I continue with this. Mr. Backrack hit a pop culture peak with Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, a rakish 1969 Western starring Paul Newman and Robert Redford as bank robbers on the one, on the run. It was one of Mr. Backrack's few film scores and won him Oscars for both the score and the instant hit, Raindrops Keep Falling From My Head. Um, falling on my head, rather. Everybody knows that scene. It's the bicycle scene. <laughs> Everybody knows the scene. Yes, if Cap- you want another great musical song he wrote, it was to the movie Arthur. You know, oh. When you get caught between the moon and New York City. Yes. That's Burt Backrack, along with other people. He started in the Brill Building in the 1950s. All right? He started there. It's, it's, the Brill Building gave rise to the greatest songwriters in American pop music. He met Hal David in 1956 when both were working in the Brill Building, New York's famed songwriting factory. They joined forces after a misfire by the composer and David's older brother, Mac, a goofy title song for the 1958 B-movie The Blob, starring Steve McQueen. Oh, Steve McQueen, right. And then they did, you know, he did Make It Easy on Yourself for Jerry Butler. He did Baby It's You. That's Burt Backrack, Baby It's You. Not just by the Shirelles, but by that girl in Smith who hits the most unbelievable oh, yeah. note that anybody has ever heard. <laughs> yes. It's just yes. wonderful. All the things he did, they were not all wonderful, but he was wonderful. And he said he told the Daily Telegraph, I'm not a good New Year's Eve act, you know what I mean? 
It's about being able to have contact playing this kind of music. The pain that people go through or the boredom or the broken relationships or the illnesses. Music can be a powerful antidote sometimes. And you don't get to see that just by sitting in a room writing by yourself. It's just, you know, he knew who he was. And he was, yeah, he was great. You know, maybe small G great, maybe not big G great. But the list of songs and the, and the way he mined that particular area deserves all kinds of respect. When he died, I wrote to Jeannie yesterday. I said, Burt Backrack died in 94, and I thought he was still alive. And she said, a picture key on the front, don't you think? And I said, absolutely. And he gets the pic- doesn't just get the picture key on the front, gets the obit on the front. Yeah. Gets the obit on the front. It's a big deal. Yeah, well it's a big deal. We'll take a break. Uh, Jason LaConfora will join us when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is a band called Virginia Coalition. We have played their music before. We like them very much. Yes. They say we have no upcoming shows to promote, but as a listener since the AM 570 days, I wanted to praise the recent Noah Petro appearance. Best guest ever. The snowy dirtball line about Eagles fans was top notch. Oh, that's wonderful. This is a song, what is this called, Voyager? Voyager 2, yes. Voyager 2. Yeah, it's heading through the Oort cloud and away from our solar system instead of towards it. I think this fun fact should put Virginia Coalition under consideration to be the official Oort cloud rock band of the Tony Kornheiser <laughs> show. That's, that's done. That's easy to do. It's from Stephen Dawson. Nice band. Then they play in Jason Lock and Four. Oh, uh, what happened in the last couple of days was very interesting in the sense that the NBA, um, first the Nets were blown up by Kyrie Irving, then the league was blown up by Kyrie Irving in a chain reaction, and that dominated the news cycle to such a degree that not only did the Super Bowl, Super Bowl get much run at all, but a story that I'm curious about got no run at all, and that is that the head of the NFLPA, Demoris Smith, wants to eliminate the Combine. The Combine, which to me is a really cool event, he wants to get rid of it. Can you explain that and tell us what he really wants and would happily settle for? Well, I haven't discussed it with him. You know, it's, it's in my years covering the league. I've talked to a lot of people at the NFLPA about a lot of different football issues and labor issues. Um, We've never really talked at length about the combine. I have had some, you know, less uh, deep conversations right. about it, surface level stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. first of all, it's become, um, you know, a, a made-for-TV product. It's yes. become something the league sells. It's become TV show. Um, yes, a, a staple in the calendar. It's become programming content and entertainment, and and it annoys Wilbon, are. which is why I like it. Yeah. Yeah. And the main characters are the players who they don't get any additional compensation for it. In fact, 
it's the reality show starring them, and they're poked and prodded, and they're told, you know, get up at 4 in the morning and go get this MRI. And, you know, 10.30 that same night, they're being asked questions about, you know, whatever the hell their mom may have done or people in their family may have done or, you know, how they get their money or It's or very whatever. exploitive. Very exploitive. Yeah. It's good television, though, which is why yeah, I like well, it. Yeah, well, yeah. No, people, people tune in. No, yeah. no two ways about it. Um, you know, it, they're put in sort of disadvantageous positions. And it, everybody sits back and sees how they respond. And then they're graded accordingly. And they're ranked. And they're stacked. And then... <laughs> They're drafted, and they don't get any say in where they go. And when they do sort of try to flex their muscles a little bit or through their agents try to kind of dictate where they go or tell certain teams, hey, we really don't want to play for you, well, then they're cast as the bad guy. How dare they want to control their own plot in life, those fools? Right. Um, So I can see a lot of reasons why a labor union would say, well, hmm, that's a very interesting way to have our our youngest uh, future employees treated and handled um, and commodified uh, without them really having a voice in it and without them being compensated for it. Uh, so I, I thought the timing was a kind of interesting. I, I hadn't heard you know, a whole lot expressed outwardly about that sentiment lately, although I certainly knew it existed. Um, and there's certainly a lot of different sort of you know, fights that the, that the union could pick you know, at any given moment in time, because there still are a lot of things about this sport and, and how it's conducted that would raise, it, raise issues for, for any labor organization. I, um, I get all that. I, I'm, I think you have articulated their point of view perfectly. My pushback would be, hold on. I own these teams. I employ all of these people. You know, if you're an owner, I employ yeah. all of these people. And I want to see these people tested under circumstances that are not just specific to the football field because I want to know if I want to invest this kind of money in them. And so this is homework that I'm doing, and I need to – you know what I'm saying? That would be my pushback. Yeah, and then, well, and then I guess if, if we're going <laughs> to role play this, I would say, well, hmm, you have a monopoly – uh, we can't go to some other league. There isn't anything. Go to the close XFL. To the, that well, it's not anything close to the NFL in right. terms of compensation scope, right. right? And you control how many of these fiefdoms you allow, and you guys only want to cut your pie in thirty-two slices. Even right. though I could argue, in North America alone, you could easily have a forty-team NFL league. There's easily forty markets that could support this. That would grow the game, and that would create more opportunities for my individuals to play football for a living. So, because we can't really go anywhere else, and because you do have a monopoly, and and you are having franchises now, um, you know, apparently there's one ignoramus who wants seven billion for his. Why don't you do the work? <laughs> You've got access to these kids on college campuses. You've already got the NCAA as your built-in feeder system. You've got a minor league that you don't even have to subsidize. You don't have to pay a penny. Right. You don't have to feed the kids. You don't have to do anything. But you're allowed access to that. So guess what? Do the work there, but we don't have to show up for your dog and pony show unless you compensate us for it. So that's what we get down to, as Don Olmeyer said. The answer to all your questions is money. Yes. So do you think that Demora Smith would get take money for these players who are... Well, and by the way, if you want to talk about monopolies, which you brought up, and you want to talk about being forced to do something, you can't play in the NFL unless you join the NFLPA. They won't let you play. Yes. 
No, and look, there, no, there, there, I have, there are many, many issues with the NFL. Yeah. Many, yeah. many, many, many. They're the same organization to... on a different la- uh, lane, that's all. They you are. Know. All right. As much as they bang heads, you know, it's like sometimes people say there's not a whole lot of difference between cops and robbers. Um, I would say there's not a whole lot of difference between the bureaucracy of the NFL and the bureaucracy of the NFLPA. Great, great. And there are issues. It's just that the scale and magnitude of one far surpasses yep. the other. Um so, no, I'm not trying to in any way like have this be an across-the-board defense of the NFLPA. But no, it's, it's, it's good just, chat. I mean, if, you know what I mean? This is how I think yeah, they how would they respond think. If, you, yeah. if you had like a sort of candid conversation with them about it. Yeah. Um, a Tom Brady question. I know Tom Brady a little bit from a long time ago. I don't know him now. You've interacted with him much more recently than I have. You think he needs a year to prepare? Like, if you don't want to do, go into the booth now... If you don't ever want to go into the booth, God bless you. But do you think he needs a year to prepare for this? Um, well, do I think he needs a year? No, but I, I think he's a perfectionist. And right. I think, you know, he's been through a whole lot lately that doesn't have anything to do with football. Right. And he he's lived this football life and this sort of football calendar has dictated his familial interactions, his social interactions, his way of life. You know what I mean? When he flies to California to start working with Guerrero and Tom House, you know what I mean? Like, it's it's all been dictated yes. by this league calendar for the entirety of his adult life. And so I can understand if before he dives back into that calendar, right, because it's, it's you know, when, he's, when they're going to expect him to do a live hit from the combine or when, you know what I mean, when he's doing a preseason game, when he's doing a regular season game. Like, if he doesn't want to dive back into that, I get it. You know what I mean? Sure, just come out and say I'm taking a year off. Are they going to, you know what I mean? They're not going to wait for him? Of course they're going to wait for him. They're paying him $375 million. Yeah. Take a year off. If he wants to take a little pause up before he jumps back in. Sure. And then if somebody wants to call him next December, you know, who's got a chance to win a Super Bowl and say, we really need you in our quarterback (laughs) room. Yeah. uh, You know, crazier things have happened. I agree. I agree. Let me get to the other maniac, Rodgers. Who is actually becoming unbearable? He's and I, I, yeah, he's, I he's like him. He's becoming unbearable. <laughs> Do you believe this dungeon of darkness nonsense? Oh, I sure. Why not? I mean, I don't want to indulge him in it. I don't care. I would never ask him a question about it. You know, hopefully he pops out on the other side, says a whole bunch of stupid crap about it, and we play it on my radio show and laugh. <laughs> I mean, I but yeah. beyond that, like, yeah. you know, hopefully he goes on McAfee and just says. You know, all kinds of ridiculous stuff. I think we'll, they're we'll playing the us for fools. And laugh about it. Jason, I think they're laughing at us. I think they've orchestrated this all year long. McAfee is a born entertainer yep. who's grasping for for being an entertainer. You you see it when he's on. He's very, you know, very interesting to watch. And Rogers is is the perfect person to go along with it, sort of like a straight man. It's like Burns and Allen to a degree. I think they're laughing at us. Well, no, I think a lot of it is very much, you know, Pat does a lot of stuff in wrestling. And there's definitely, well, you know, mean Gene. Like, I do feel like it's a promo at times, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm just kind of along for the ride, and everybody's playing a role. And everybody's, you know, mean Gene Oakland's playing a character. Macho Man's playing a character. <laughs> and, like, I guess somewhere in there yeah. is, like, reality, but it's under a couple of layers of BS. Um, I, but, look, I think he relishes it. I, sure I, he I mean, he... The whole the fact that we're talking about it right now, like there's something very Machiavellian about this guy's um, 
maneuvers and and what he says and what he doesn't say, you know, what he leaves unspoken, what he speaks. Um, there's there's you know he's his own puppeteer. I I don't think he wants to be in Green Bay. I think for a long time he's known that he's not winning any more titles in Green Bay, and that when they're paying him sixty million bucks with that roster, they can't construct around him what he needs to win in Green Bay. And you know he's squeezed them three straight off seasons. He's gotten everything he wants, and then the final act will be now I take my ultimate heel turn if we're going to continue the the, the wrestling you know right strat up, and I'll take my heel turn and I'll try to win my belt somewhere else. You know, I'm I'm Hulk Hogan leaving the WWF or whatever the NWA, and I'm going to go win my belt there um, and take some dudes with me and. Uh, that's what I, that's where I think this is headed. That's where I thought this was headed for a long time. I've written about this several times this season at the Washington Post. And everything I've heard and everybody I've talked to who I think are smart in this league and who see things before they happen have kind of been looking at this saying, you know, he's angling to get out. He's going to put it on them, which he has. Um, and they're saying they're waiting for him, and he's saying he's waiting for them, and he hears the whispers about what they want to do to him, and he's not sure how that makes him feel, so he's got to go sit in the dark for four days and figure it out. But it's over. I mean, it, it, yeah. it's it's over. Um, and I think it's Vegas, baby. Okay, well, that leads me into the obvious question. Vegas told Derek Carr, we don't really care what you do, just do it somewhere else. Where do you think? And Derek Carr's been a starter in the league for nine years, mm-hmm. and he is certainly an adequate quarterback. He yeah. is certainly that, if not a little bit better. Where does he go? Well, I mean, obviously he's got this dalliance going on with New Orleans now with the kind of money he's used to making. You know, they've got all kinds of cap problems there, so they'd have to thread some needles right. to make that work. Um, I expect the Jets and Woody Johnson to want an audience with him or to want to secure his services, especially once, you know, Woody finds out that Aaron Rodgers is not coming to New York. Now, the timing of that could be interesting um, because while Aaron Rodgers is, you know, on this sort of nebulous kung fu walk the you know, walk the planet <laughs> deal, and who knows when that's going to end, Derek Carr is looking for work right bleeping now and, and right. kind of wants some closure. And the Raiders, because of the way that contract set up, would, would, would probably have to find out sooner rather than later where he's going. So. Uh, you know, Woody may delude himself into thinking, you know, I've, I've got to wait for Aaron Rodgers before I do anything else. But If you uh, wait for Aaron Rodgers, you're waiting for Kyrie Irving. It, 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 this disappointment is yeah. on the front burner. You cannot. This is the problem people make, that they think, I'll be the one who gets through to this guy. It's going to work for me. And it doesn't. It doesn't. Right? It doesn't. No, no. I think at this point in time... Um, you're 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 taking on a lot of baggage. All right, plug your radio show for us. Uh, you can listen to me and my colleagues Ken Wyman and Tim Barbalace and our producer Stone Cold Feltz. It's quite the ladies' man. It's good uh, to you know. can listen to us from two to six <laughs> daily weekdays on Inside Access on one hundred five seven The Fan in Baltimore, or you could tune in um, anywhere. I guess in North America on the Odyssey app and listen to us uh, there. You can read me in the Washington Post, although uh, we're about to hit a little lull there, but sure. I believe I'll pop back up in April. And you could watch me on Saturday on Sportsline, um, where I will try to make you some money on prop bets and sides and totals 
all the different ways we're going to bet on the final football game of the year. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, brother. Jason Lock and Fora, boys and girls. We will take a break. When we come back, Booger McFarlane will join us. I am Tony Kornheiser. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Once again, this is Virginia Coalition. Very talented Virginia Coalition. I talked about the Puna before. This is a song called Maggie in the Meantime, which is a tribute to my old dog, Maggie. And the Duchess, right? Yeah, the Duchess Pauline Maggie. From Stephen Dawson, who writes, Thank you for supporting local DC music. Which is very, very nice. Happy to do it. Michael, if people like Virginia Coalition want to send us their original music, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at com and Maggie, named after The Simpsons. That's right. Oh, really? No. I, I never I remember watched The Simpsons. I remember yes. The Car Ride Home. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Where I named I the dog. no idea <laughs> how I named the dog. But it was a good name. I was At that point, I was into like regular names for right. dogs. It's sort of as, as a respect to dogs. Booger McFarlane joins us now. We haven't done much on the Super Bowl, and we're not going to do much on the Super Bowl, except we're going to ask Booger a bunch of questions that Booger can answer better than anybody else. Because if I'm not mistaken, you played in at least two Super Bowls or maybe just two Super Bowls, right? Yeah, it was just two, Tony. Okay. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about, from an athlete's point of view, the season ends, you have made the Super Bowl. It's a tremendous achievement, but you have another game, and you have two weeks what are those two weeks like for a guy who's going to play in the Super Bowl? So uh, I only had two weeks in one of my Super Bowls, and that was the Indianapolis Colts Super Bowl. Okay. So I'll give you uh, a breakdown on that two-week period. Um, Tony gave us um, the, the, the first weekend off. So we, we, we win the AFC Championship game. Um, we get Monday off. We had to practice Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. He gave us Friday, Saturday, Sunday off. We had to be back in Indianapolis at the facility on Monday, uh, by Monday morning, for a light uh, walkthrough. And then our plane left at 5 o'clock Monday, headed to Miami um, to check in. And then we had the you know initial media uh, barrage or whatever, and then Tuesday was media day. Well, let me go backwards a little bit. The practices that you had, the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday practices in the first week, a long way off from the game, were they gentler practices than you were used to? Or, you know, what what did you do in those practices? So we wanted to get all our work in. So gentler, uh, and you act like we're handling a, a baby or something, being gentle. No, they were... They were very physical. Okay. Um, Tony, Tony wanted to get the work done, get the work in in Indianapolis in our building. Uh, we, we, we put the game plan in. We had some physical practice knowing that we were going to get the weekend off. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so for, for us, by the time we had the weekend off, Tony, we knew the game plan. Right. And so, so when we came back for that Monday little light jog through or whatever, we repped the game plan over uh, in a light walkthrough, and then we flew to Miami. But once we got to Miami and practiced at the Dolphins facility, uh, we didn't put the pads back on at all. It was all in shorts and shirt. It was all speed work. He wanted to make sure our conditioning was right. And Tony didn't believe in running after practice. He didn't believe in, all right, guys, everybody in the line, let's run suicide. Right. He always told us, if you practice full speed, you'll get your conditioning while you practice. And so we always, like, we were a small team. Like, I was the heaviest guy on the team at, like, 308, 310. And so he just knew 
we were small, we were going to be fast, we just had to play fast. All right, let me get to the second week. You said that you left from the facility on Monday, flew from Indianapolis to Miami, correct? Yeah. You're packing for a long time, and you're not just packing for a long time. There's going to be an enormous amount of media attention that you've never had before. I mean, I don't mean never in your life, but this is a big deal thing. Did you pack special clothing? Did you think about wardrobe when you got ready to go? You personally, when you got ready to go to Miami? Oh, you had to, Tony. Like, you, you have to think about really, like, you had to go backwards. And so the first thing I packed was the suit that I was going to wear to the game on, on Sunday. Right. And then I just went backwards. Right. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of meticulous when it comes to packing. Like, I don't believe in, you know, packing 15 things for five days. So what I normally do is, I go day by day. So I packed Sunday's clothes, and I went, okay, what am I going to do Saturday? Saturdays, I'm going to probably be around the hotel the day before the game. So I packed some shorts, T-shirts. Friday, uh, not really doing anything. There was one night we were going to go out to go out to Prime 112 to get some dinner, and so I packed a nice outfit to wear to dinner. But other than that, I packed about three or four pair of shorts, uh, one pair of jeans, one nice button-down, the suit I was going to wear to the game, uh, and then, you know, just in case, Tony, just in case there was a nice after party, I had what I was going to wear to the party also after the game. Were you unique in that, or did everybody on the team do that? Well, I think you had to. Otherwise, you'd be wearing the same clothes every day. You know? <laughs> I mean, I, I think, you know, guys had to, had to prepare. It's like when you go on vacation. I mean, even though you don't necessarily know uh, how, long you, how long or what you're going to do, maybe, you still have to prepare and pack certain things. So I think, I, I don't know if I was unique to, from the standpoint of uh, being meticulous uh, as far as, you know, the, the days and things of that nature, but I do think I was unique maybe in, in, in the, um, in, in some of the, I, I guess, detailed planning as right. far as specific outfits for the game. I am um, going to assume that on a team of 50 people, uh, some people love to talk to the media, some people dread talking to the media, some people wonder why are we doing this at all. I would think on a team with you and Peyton Manning, uh, there was a sense that this is a pretty good opportunity. I don't mind talking to the media. Do I have that right? Yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, Peyton was, obviously, Peyton was a leader. Uh, he was kind of our spokesman. Everybody wanted to talk to Peyton Manning. Yeah. You have to rem- remember my role. So when I got traded for that year, Tony, uh, for the Indianapolis Colts, you know, they were a young team. Uh, very talented, but Tony Dungy traded for me, and he simply said, just come in and be you, and it'll be good enough. He said, we need you. We need your your expertise. We need your leadership. We need your play on the field. And so um, it, it was kind of funny because in Tampa, I was kind of you – know, I, I, I'm not necessarily the forgotten guy, but I wasn't the leader of the team. I get traded to Indianapolis, and immediately, Tony, uh, these young guys are looking at me for guidance. And, you know, Dwight Freeney and Robert Mathis are kind of watching my every move. Now, these are all pro-type players, but they were so young. And Tony knew that he needed somebody in the defense that could be a veteran presence. So when I got there, my job was to kind of be the leader and speak and just kind of show these guys how, how we carry ourselves and how we, how we become a professional. So, yeah, when, I, when, when somebody on our defense talked, they looked for me to kind of speak up and say something. And I wasn't the captain. That was Gary Brackett's job. But my job was just to kind of assist and show these guys, not only play at a high level, but show these guys how you act and how you become a professional. That's the question I had written down in the second, in the second Super Bowl. Did you tell the others 
what to expect, and you've you've certainly answered that. Um, how many how many guys on Indianapolis? This was their first Super Bowl, mostly or not many at all. Oh, mostly, mostly, mostly. all. You got you got okay. you got to remember uh, Vinatieri, myself. I think there was maybe two more. So I, I think only like four or five guys had played in the Super Bowl, and I, I'll never forget Jim Mersey, um during that during that the first week. He brought us all, like brought all the leaders in, plus the guys that had played the Super Bowl. He simply said, "Hey, what do we need to do?" And he asked us, and we just shared with him, "Hey, make sure we get everything done ticket wise this week. The first week while we're in Indianapolis, all tickets need to be taken care of before the weekend, before we get our weekend off. Make sure all your plans, all your hotel, the thing you do not want to do is get to Miami and start worrying about, hey, who's staying here." How many, you know, start counting tickets. You don't want any of that done. Right. Tell your wife, tell your significant other, hey, here's the plan. Work the plan. We're not changing the plan. And so it's little advice like that that I think Benatari had had to deal with in New England and I dealt with in Tampa that we were able to share and, and, and make the, the, the two-week period not only useful, but make it where guys understand, hey, the first week, take care of all the ancillary details. The second week, let's get down to business. Okay, so when you're in Miami and there is a lot of time that you are dealing with media and dealing with other things, it's not like a regular game. It is really not like a regular game. What percentage was fun and what percentage was a drag and made you fear that this is going to get us out of the rhythm that we normally have? Oh, well, initially early on, you're concerned. You know, when the plane lands in Miami, there was no curfew. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, there's no like there's no curfew, mm. and so you concern young guys in Miami, yeah, um, in South Beach and, and strip clubs and all the different things where uh, coming from from Indianapolis, you're like, okay, I don't have to worry about these things. Well, Tony, in Miami, South Beach, if you want to see a two piece bikini, you can see one every day, all day, <laughs> yeah, and, that's and, right. and so you get concerned about those things. As far as percentage of time, I would say earlier in the week. Um, I was concerned probably 100% of the time just because of uh, no curfew, just because of us being so young. Tony didn't believe in micromanaging. So once we got done with practice, you were like he didn't make up meetings just to keep guys occupied. Uh, once we got to Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I wasn't worried at all because guys could start to feel, Tony, there's only been, you know, to this date that you and I are talking right now, there's only been 56 days like this. And they call them ring days, all right? 56 days in the history of football where you can earn a ring on that day. This Sunday will be number 57. So at the time, Tony, it was Super Bowl 41. So there only had been 40 days. 40 times in the history of the game, on one night you get to earn a ring. That's what makes Super Bowl Sunday so special. It's not the halftime show. It's not Rihanna. It's not J-Lo. It's not all these Justin Timberlake. It's the fact that in the history of the game of football, there's only been certain days where you can earn the ring and no matter what you do no matter how you think about it that day is coming and it doesn't stop for anyone and so how you prepare and how you show up to play means something and so as the week came to an end i impressed that on the guys hey guys understand this we got one night to earn a ring and it'll change the rest of your life and so there was really no need to worry because those young guys started to understand the enormity of the situation once we got to Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Did you think you would win? When you woke up on Sunday or when you walked out on the field, did you think you would win? No question, Tony. 
mm-hmm. I knew Rex Grossman could not beat Peyton Manning. Right. Okay. And right. The, the the only the only thing I concerned myself with was could we stop the run of the Chicago Bears? Well, that was my job. It was right up my alley. Right. And you know, the Bears had to have a specific way to beat us. Okay, Rex Grossman, I love Rex. Rex is cool. Rex wasn't going to beat Peyton Manning. That's number one. Number two, they had Devin Hester, who, by the way, should be in the Hall of Fame, but yes. he's, not, he's a Hall of Fame returner. Uh, and they could run the, the heck out of the football. So there was two ways, two things that Bears could do to beat us. Run the ball, Devin Hester return a kick, and their defense, led by Erlach and Briggs, play out of their mind. Well, Tony, as the game starts, the first play of the game, Devin Hester returns the kickoff for a touchdown. And I'm saying to myself, oh, Ooh. God, what in the heck Ooh. are we doing? And yeah. at that point, I'm saying this is the blueprint to an upset. Well, as the game started to play out, my theory continued to evolve. Rex Grossman was terrible. The Bears only had one or two good runs because we were really shutting them down. And Peyton Manning, even though he was going against one of the greatest defenses ever, started to figure that defense out. And lo and behold, Tony – uh, our offense started to score points. Rex Grossman threw a pick six, and Super Bowl Forty One was won by the Indianapolis Colts. And Tony, he, here's the here's the thing, and I, I don't know if I've ever told you this. It was so surreal because the night Tony Dungy got fired in Tampa, I was sitting in my bed, Tony, and it was raining, and the camera knew he was going to get the news the news station knew he was going to get fired. Yeah. So the news station was posted up outside the facility. And when Tony gets fired, he's carrying a cardboard box from the building to his Dodge Durango, and it's raining. And the camera's following him the whole way. And I just felt like, man, I let Tony Dungeon down. I could have done something else. Tony, fast forward, Tony, Super Bowl 41. It's the only Super Bowl that's ever rained. Yes. It rained all Super Bowl. Prince did the halftime show. Purple Rain had a special meaning that night, Tony. Um, as we win the Super Bowl, it's raining. And we're carrying Tony Dungy off the field on our shoulders in the rain. And I thought about two things. I thought about my mother that had passed away. And I thought about that night in my bed when I watched Tony Dungy get, get fired at the Bucks facility. And I, it, it, it almost came full circle. And so it was an unbelievable night. But, yeah, there was no chance in hell Rex Grossman was going to beat us that night, Tony. It's a lovely story. I appreciate it very much. And we'll see you later when you're on PTI. Thank you, Booger. Sounds good. Y'all have a good one, fellas. How great was that? Come on. Uh, We'll be back with email and jingle when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Rock your gold toast, Tony. (laughs) Take your knee high holes and hoist some high. Shapeless tube socks. Michael's filled with disgust. Did you make a mistake when you stipulated that these are the socks that you love? And is it over now? Do you know how? Pick up some crew socks and go home. Rock your gold toes, Tony. Grandpa, pull your tube socks up to your thighs. Steve Lipton. <laughs> to your thighs. That's brilliant. Springfield, Virginia. <laughs> Knee-high, gold-toed tube socks. What's next? Shag carpet in the living room? 
<laughs> Steve Lipton, brilliant. Thank you so You've much. You've ruined my Amazon algorithm because now whenever we log on, it, it directs us to Gold Toe Socks. <laughs> Is that right? I'm sorry about that. You want to do the Bethesda Bagel app? Yes, Bethesda Bagels. We love them. You will as well. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in and you'll be thrilled. Before we get to the mailbag, let me say close your eyes and I'll kiss you tomorrow. I'll miss you. Remember, I'll always be true. And then while I'm away, I'll write home every day. And I'll send all my love in you. Do you want to explain what you did on the set of PTI yesterday? Well, yeah, we put the, the, you have these wonderful cardboard cutouts of the Beatles. I do. Um, and we put them up on one of the shelves behind you. Because yesterday was the anniversary of the day everything changed. It was the first appearance on Ed Sullivan, February 9th, 1964. A performance which you watched. 59 years ago. Um, yeah. Yeah, of course I watched it. Watched it like a little girl. Wanted to scream. Watched it alone <laughs> yeah. in my room. Probably with the Puna, but I'm not sure. <laughs> Thanks to our guests today, Jason Lockenfora, James Carville, Booger McFarlane. Thanks to our sponsor, Policy Genius. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. Liz is very excited for those steaks tonight. They're still, yes. they're still available to us. They're, yeah, that's why I should said write, I've got a lot of things to write send a you home with. Uh, to Nancy, or will you take care of that for us? Uh, I'll take care of that. Okay. Don't worry about it. Got a lovely... Another beautiful from George Millet. Just a beautiful, Oh, look beautiful at that. Drawing. Yeah, that's lovely. He got his typewriters fixed. He's very happy. He <laughs> likes to type. It reminds me of a picture of the two of us walking down the beach. It's really, it's, it, this is exactly what it is. They waited an eternity to cross the Bay Bridge. The drive was mind-numbingly stop and go. Uh, they walked to the beach. Um, Justin in Cleveland just tested COVID positive for the first time. Made it three years, two weeks, and one day. Three, two, one. Rack me. <laughs> Rack me. It's so, I haven't heard that in so long. John Erickson, San Diego, California. You correctly called out the lyrics of Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow as the most important lyrics for high school senior girls. I can't believe you didn't use the opportunity to point out that the most important lyrics of high school senior boys, courtesy of a proud graduate of Hewlett High School, class of 1965. I started swearing to my God and to my mother's grave that I would love you to the end of time. <laughs> love you till the end of time. So now I'm praying for, <laughs> for the, the end of time <laughs> to hurry up and arrive. Because if I have to spend another minute with you, I don't think that I could truly survive. I'll never break my promise or forget my vow. But God only knows what I'd do right now. I'm praying for the end of time. That's all that I can do. So I can end my, my time with you. <laughs> From... And that's not all written down. As no, you know. no, no, no. That was off it's, it, your head. It, it makes you happy when I know the words to everything. It really does. Eileen Robinson, Rochester, Minnesota. Hello, everyone. I went to the Canada Goose website and I said, why would you buy this? That's cost more than my college tuition per semester. <laughs> I'll stick with the Columbia coat and the Subaru Impreza. Thanks. From Rick Franzosa. Cincinnati by way of Manchester, Connecticut, Somerville, Massachusetts, and San Socio Baronia. Listening to Claire Natola's rant on Gelato Gelato. I was pleased that someone else was setting you straight on Gelato and then the moment. San Socio Baronia. Hey, I know that town. Also the ancestral home of the Franzosa clan. Oh, how about that? From James Jones. Um, regarding the Monday's mailbag comment of who the F are Chuck and Roxy. <laughs> you know, beyond a, a shadow of a doubt who knows who Chuck and Roxy are? Ari Melber. <laughs> Any chance the official Tony Cornizer okay. show associate professor emeritus of management slot is still open? It's always open. It's yours. James, it's yours. Who's that? James Jones. From Brad Weiss, from Carborough, North Carolina. While I rarely feel the need to rub all of Suffolk County's nose in it, I too graduated from the college in New Hampshire with a generational connection to Russell Wilson's family. 
Not only that, my wife, to whom I'm related, ah, forget it, was a teacher and librarian at the collegiate school in Richmond while Wilson was attending that Tony Prep School, which is where Bill Hoffheimer went to school. Oh, yeah. What's more, we all ended up in the Triangle in North Carolina during the middle of the last decade. But all of these connections, with all of these connections, you'd think we'd hear from Russ on occasion. But does he leave us Panther tickets when he's in town? Or for to show us around Denver or Seattle when we're passing through? Drop us the occasional card at Purim? Of course not. So I concur with Lilbon. Washed. <laughs> From Peter Jennings, not that Peter Jennings. Another course for your forthcoming trip to New Zealand, oldest golf club in the Southern Hemisphere, not going to go on and on about how great the experience was established the same year as the great Chicago Fire, sorry, Wilbon, and Ulysses S. Grant was president, and as such great history set out in the attached photos, which he did in close. The highlight was the exchange entering the prop, the pro shop with the TK Show podcast playing on my phone. The assistant pro, what are you listening to? Me, the Tony Kornheiser Show. The assistant pro, who? Me, you know, one of the guys from the PTI Show on ESPN. The assistant pro, what? Me, awkward pause, mumbling. Assistant pro, sir, are you walking or riding? Nonetheless, you will love the course. From Steve Jackson, the woman I am related to by marriage needed measurements done for a mother of the bride dress. No problem. As soon as she asked, the Dan Burns song popped into my head. Using a string and a tape measure isn't as good of a song, but it worked. Also saw Cigna announce a $6.7 billion profit. Something about no MRIs for Mr. Tony was a large part of their success. <laughs> well, they certainly don't want to pay for the steroid shots that I took. No nope. four steroid shots. From Joe Pearson in Indianapolis. Am I watching the Pro Bowl games? Yes. Yes, I am. Am I old enough to remember Battle of the Network Stars? I listen to this podcast, don't I? So far, the only thing missing from the Pro Bowl games is Adrian Barbeau running the 100-yard dash. You know who used to broadcast the Pro Bowl games? The Battle of the Network Stars? It's ABC, right? Uncle Big Al. Oh, really? Al oh, Michaels. Oh, Al Michaels. Al Michaels did that. By the way, there's a, there's a famous moment. Oh, um, Robert Conrad gets into it with Gabe Kaplan. There's some dispute about, you know. Really? Who Does wants... he say, knock this off my shoulder? <laughs> no, but he says, we're going to challenge you. Or we're going to run a, a sprint, a 100-yard dash. Whoever wins, wins this thing. Well, he's going to beat Gabe Kaplan. You would think. He Gabe didn't? Kaplan is, was like a brilliant track runner and blows oh, him away. Great. Mr. So Cotter. Yeah, it's unbelievable. So like, you're like, yeah, it's Robert Conrad. And, and at the end, at the end, when he crosses, when Conrad crosses the finish line, you ought to say, welcome back. <laughs> Jason Blazer, Lake Orion or Lake Orion, Michigan. I get it wrong all the time. As I write this, it's 10.05 p.m. on Thursday, February 2nd. I've just returned home after a lovely show of Dan Byrne headlining in beautiful downtown Lake Orion, Michigan. It was a fantastic show. Dan was brilliant and funny. Afterwards, we chatted briefly, and he was welcoming and charming. At one point during the show, he brought up the town's pronunciation, and a couple shouted back about how Kornheiser says it. The woman to whom I'm related by marriage leaned over and whispered, Oh, God, how many of you are here tonight? Thanks for the great evening, Dan. And from, uh, from Renee Brown in Winchester, Ontario. My husband is a long time little. I'm only half a little since I only listen to your podcast when I'm in his truck. We both enjoy the show and debate during our ride home. Recently, I heard you state that your food on your dinner plate cannot touch. Thank you for understanding this. My husband thinks our daughters and I are nuts since we all eat this way. Food shall not touch. Even to the point where I eat one item at a time. Of course you do. I am so glad we are not alone. Last night, for example, <laughs> Carol made... A chicken parmesan on top of spaghetti. Mm. And I separated the spaghetti from the chicken parmesan and ate the spaghetti first. Explain oh. how you eat a salad. Well, salad, there's nothing. It's, I can, it's a different category. It's, 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 yes. Yeah. It's not food. It's salad. 
It's different. <laughs> Hubby loves Reginald Monkey and laughs when I cringe when the jingle comes on. He even sings the jingle when I'm in the truck. Can I nominate him, Cliff Brown, as the official gas technician of the Tony Kornheiser show for North Dundas, the county we live in? He'll get a kick out of hearing his name on the show. Done. If you're out on your bike tonight, everyone, as always, do wear white. 70 and 40 publicly against the spread on Tony Kornheiser. Who is Tony? Tony Kornheiser. Who is that? It's a PTI guy on ESPN. Okay. <laughs> Ari Melbourne. Really? you clearly though you're hardly in my view for I listened in the way in which you told me I hold them dearly all these murmurs of the earth pushing forth like waves when something it's the water in all directions they point inside of you and all connections to life beholding pebble in the puddle made the ripple in the water made the tree casting shadows on the river through the swaying limbs i see voyager two you leaving together said half soon and i've seen spirits and children all waiting waiting for you As you draw closer now hear the message hell within from all who gazed into the sky in silent wonder What a number The living and departed The people all alone forever Searching for an answer Almost screaming to be heard Modern words confusing that don't need to listen yeah. Spirit force the endless course of aboriginal direction Answered prayers of resurrection The earth, the child, the sun And the stars we see deepest fascination I greet the day we'll somehow be together There's time forever In all a miracle believer Will have traveled all this way to finally see you In all directions They move inside of you And all connections To life beholding Bevel in the puddle made the ripple in the water and made the child sleeping soundly by the river. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Voyager 2. 